Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting, and you can find this podcast on the SB Nation Network and with the Tanner Supers family. Today, we have a very special guest. Uh, as you know, I like to keep things in the Timbles family and kind of uh, around the, the little community that we've built here with the Minnesota Timbles. And recently, we've had a new member join our strange little world and, and start creating some really cool content, and that is first-time guest, founder of Ball Eyes North, uh, Jerry Walsholes. Is that how I say your last name, Jerry? I forgot to ask you off air, but um, I didn't want. I don't want to get that wrong. So that's a, that's all right. It's uh, it's Wackles, but um, Wackles, no, that's yeah. that's perfectly fine. <laughs> that's probably bad preparation for me, but um. Before before we get into we're gonna do some some preseason reviews today and, and a few fun little over unders to, to end the show. But before we get into that, um, I'd love to hear what brought you into the world of Timberwolves riding and I guess what is your your brainchild that is Ball Eyes North. Yeah, thanks. Um, and, and again, thanks for having me on today, Jake. I, I love the podcast. I've been a, a long time listener. Um, the original. Uh, genesis of Ball Eyes North um, was, uh, you know, last season uh, I spent a lot of time reading the work of all the great writers at Canis Hoopus, all the great writers at A Wolf Among Wolves, Dunking with Wolves, all the great Timberwolves blogging sites, and and even the guys at the newspapers, you know, the Pioneer Press and Star Tribune, just couldn't really get enough of the Timberwolves content, and I thought it would be great to have that all uh, compiled in one place, not necessarily claiming it as my own, obviously, uh, but a place where people can find uh, relevant and new Timberwolves content, and especially highlighting the local, the local writers, the fans, the bloggers, the people who love this team. Um, and, and so, I wanted to start it last season. Actually, uh, as we were finishing up the year, I knew we'd have a good draft pick. I knew there'd be an eventful off season. Uh, and then the pandemic hit, and obviously we went nine months without Timberwolves basketball. So that delayed things. Um, but as training camp came up and the offseason came up, I decided, well, now is the time. There's a lot of interest, a lot of optimism around the team, and there was so much great content produced um, by by all of all of Timberwolves Nation out there, all of the great writers and bloggers that um, that cover the team, uh, and and podcasters like uh, like you and Dane and, and some of those other guys. So. Um, I decided to get the site started and obviously started the Twitter account and I have an Instagram as well. And, and myself, I like to write. I like to get my ideas out on paper. I'm not a professional writer by any means, but uh, I have fun doing it. And I hope that people enjoy and, and see, you know, my fandom showing through. Um, and so that was that was the whole idea behind it is to just kind of from a fan's perspective, get all of the great articles all in one place and, and be able to have a, a platform for my own thoughts as well and it's been so fun so far and, and timberwolves twitter and the timberwolves writing community has been 
it's been just so great to get into. Yeah, and I think it was it was kind of the the best time to join, just especially since it's uh, the start of the season, and optimism is always kind of at its highest during the start of the season. I don't know, thirty games in, it's it's as fun when everyone is. <laughs> is in panic mode and, and the sky is falling, but it's definitely a good time at the moment and there's a lot of optimism around. Um, yep. I didn't say it before, but but please go and follow the website at Ball Eyes North on Twitter and the Instagram is the same name, is it? Correct, yep. Yeah, so um, like you said, you can find all the work for, that, that we do at Tainus Hoopers, all the work you know from, from all the other great Timberwolves sites and then original content as well, which um, I've really been enjoying. The, the post-game recaps I really enjoy just because they seem to be quite concise and they're they're there straight away and they just give you a nice little rundown of the game which i always like to to read even if i've watched the game i like to read and kind of get um someone else's thoughts and and see if i'm lining up on the same wavelength as as everyone else but um yeah yeah, please go and follow that everyone if you're listening and hopefully we'll we'll give you a good show today and we'll we'll encourage you even more to read to read jerry's stuff and, and to follow the ball eyes north movement um before we uh, we'll get into the show now, we obviously the preseason's finished. Um, they finished one and two, both losses to Memphis, and then the win against Dallas last night. Recording here, so um, that was fun. At least we got to have a fun little end to, to the preseason, a nice overtime game, and and something to hang our hats on because the first two games were pretty uh, pretty ugly. But yep. I guess we'll, we'll go over some, some, just some key things that we saw. Um, first, I want to start with the defense. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll get the, the gross stuff out the way first. Um, we've discussed at length, you know, the issues throughout the offseason. Uh, it starts with the personnel at the top. And I guess barring the likes of Josh Cody, Ricky Rubio and, and Jarrett Culver, it kind of trickles down the entire roster. Um, we know by now not to take pre-season, uh, to take preseason results with a grain of salt, um, but the super small sample size stats that accompany them as well, they, they should be taken with a grain of salt. With that being said, it's probably worth mentioning that, that somehow the Wolves defense actually ranked 17th in terms of defensive rating throughout the preseason, um, despite looking obviously pretty wretched over the first three games. Um, Jerry, I was wondering, what did you make of the overall defense, and, and did it make you feel any better or worse than you did heading into the preseason, or, or is your line of thinking kind of the same as it was a few weeks ago? I would say uh, it's a great question. I would say I feel marginally better, um, but with a big question mark on the end of that, and and I would say a big part of that is because. Uh, of last night, and and I know uh, Dane highlighted this in his podcast, and it was in the post game, you know, Carl Anthony Towns' comments about his his desire to commit to defense, and and I just think that a lot of teams have have you know guards who are more offensive guards, wings who are more offensive wings, but they're still able to put together um, average or even good defenses, and. Uh, and, and a lot of times that's because they have a good defensive big man or at least a quality defensive big man. And I think um, Carl's comments last night as far as wanting to commit and knowing that it's going to take this team from possibly being bad uh, to being average or good um, is going to start with him and, and some of the things that he needs to clean up. And from what I saw in the preseason and over the last couple of games, He's had some tough moments, but he's had some encouraging moments against some really good perimeter players where he's staying back. He's not 
reaching. He's not leaping out of the play. Uh, and then he's, he's securing rebounds on, on missed shots, and he's a lot more demonstrative with his communication, which I think was somewhere that Gorgie Jang always wanted Carl to be better at because Gorgie was such a great communicator on the floor on the defensive side. Um, so I would say I feel better because of that. However, um, the giving up wide open three pointers is going to need to change. I think Dallas went 20 for 44 from three last night and they're a great offense, but you're not going to win many games. Memphis, we also just gave up corner three pointers left and right, and they're not even that good of a three point shooting team and they still made us pay pretty bad. So, um, I think, you know, I, I'm not quite the, um, the uh, scheme mind that I think you and guys like Jack are. So, uh, you know, you guys can probably shed a little more light on what exactly they need to clean up, but I, that sticks out to me as, you know, the defense will continue to be bad if they do not clean up the giving up wide open threes. But I am encouraged by some of the other comments and, and actions that I've seen from Towns. Right. And, and I think that the, the hope is that they become average defensively. I don't think any of us think that they're going to be a good defense, but I think that uh, with with the offensive personnel they have, maybe you know a twentieth to a fifteenth to twentieth kind of ranked defense will be good enough to maybe get them on the playoff bubble um, and definitely into the play in games. I, I think I'm pretty much on the same line of thinking. Um, I'm a little maybe a little bit closer to just where I was. I think it's I think it's going to be below average. Um, th- there isn't a doubt in my mind really that they're not going to be, you know, above fifteenth in the league. I think the with the point of attack defense, with with Russell and Beasley, uh, whenever Culver, Cody, or Rubio aren't there at the point of attack, I think it's going to be pretty awful. I think nothing over the preseason really did anything to change my mind there. In fact, I'm probably even a little bit lower on Beasley than than I was just because we we got the small sample size and obviously the. The preseason's an even smaller sample size, but I think that Beasley was was still kind of an unknown. We we know that he wasn't great on defense throughout his career, but he has more of the mentality and the the want to to be a great defender. We've seen all, all seen the quotes, you know, saying he wants to be first team all defense and this and that. Right. But uh, I think he was pretty bad through the preseason and really looked like he was trying hard, which kind of um, makes it. A little bit harder to swallow because it's not like he's he's in cruise control. I think he's just not very good on defense, and um, right. and they that just puts so much pressure on Towns. And like Towns, Towns, as you said, I think he looked good in spurts. Um, still, still very aggressive, probably too aggressive at times. I think he had eleven fouls in seventy-five minutes, so that's not a great sign. I think they, I think they probably encouraged him to be really aggressive, just because you know if you fail out of a preseason game against Dallas then then nobody really cares too much but um mm-hmm. he just I don't think he can deal with the, with the the downhill scheme you know guards of the lead especially when his point of attack defender doesn't doesn't do enough to help him and in the drop scheme that is really magnified the the point of attack defense but then on the other hand I was impressed with Josh Cody who you know has always been impressive defensively and then especially Culver and he's the We'll get to Culver a little bit later and a Cody, but Culver seems to really have grown both physically and mentally and, and honed in on that point of attack defense while still maintaining the, the quick hands and the awareness that he showed off the ball last season. And that's huge for this team because that does allow them to have that point of attack defender on the court most of the time. Because I think for 
for most of the 48 minutes, Culver or Cody will be on the floor. I'm not sure how much they share the floor together, but um, if you have one of the one of them on the floor at all times, at least you can hide Russell and Beasley a little bit more. You're still going to have times where where those two guys kind of collapse your defense with with you know ball watching or just not being able to get through a screen off the off the ball. But um, having a guy like Culver and Cody who are both you know, trending towards lockdown defenders at the point of attack. Um, I think that's really encouraging. And then I think that we've seen a few encouraging signs from Anthony Edwards as well. I think he'll be pretty hit and miss throughout the season defensively, but definitely some some things to kind of hang your hat on and some things to be encouraged about with Edwards. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at about the same as where I was, which is that they're probably not going to be good on defense, but maybe they can be good enough to to get themselves into the playoffs or to get themselves, you know, into the playoff picture just by uh, having a good enough offense. Um, and, yep. and that kind of transitions me to offense. It yep. is asking the same question about the offense, I guess. Like, how, how did you see it throughout the preseason? And did it change your view in any way? And and obviously, we all, we all came into the season thinking it would be pretty good and it was pretty disjointed at times uh, in, the, in the preseason. But did that have an effect on you or is it was it just rust or chemistry you know like how do you feel about that yeah so the the offense i mean i think we all have pretty good faith that at some point the offense will be the um the strength of this team and their ability to score pretty much at will um i don't think will be in question eventually what what the preseason has changed for me is is how quickly that can come together i kind of you know being an optimistic Wolves fan on the on game one of the preseason, I was just waiting for this awesome offensive explosion right off the bat, um, and that was kind of a nice, you know, bucket of cold water thrown on thrown on me and a lot of <laughs> other people to say, no, no, this takes time. These guys haven't played in a really long time, especially not together. Um, so I feel the same. I would say about the offense's uh, ceiling and the what they will be. Um, I am concerned like a lot of people like a lot of wolves fans about how long it will take to to come together um i will say though just in the three preseason games i mean i feel much better about it today than i did after the first one and after the second game um i mean they were completely disjointed in the first couple of games and it was i think i saw i think it was highly publicized they had more turnovers than than assists after the first two preseason games which is which is pretty dismal um, so last night provided a lot more optimism. There was a stretch from, uh, maybe eight minutes left in the first quarter. So after the first, maybe four minutes through almost through to halftime, or maybe just with a couple minutes left. So about a quarter and a half where it really looked like, okay, here's the offense we all expected. They were after they'd get a rebound or even after a made shot, the pace was incredible. They were flying up the court and getting into actions immediately playing through towns. Uh, he was, you know, distributing, not always directly for assists, but he was moving the ball and his using his scoring gravity to get other guys shots. And, you know, they weren't making shots like crazy, but they were just running good, I would say good, solid, fast paced offense. And I think that was our first real glimpse at an extended or our first extended glimpse at what their offense will look like um, when it's running optimally during the season. So, yeah, I feel good about the offense i think it will take some time uh, for them to get there and once it gets there though i think it will be really fun to watch because that 
quarter and a half last night and, and again the game against Dallas was that was a lot of fun they scored a lot and they looked great doing it yeah I completely agree and I think that it's it's obviously it's tough to judge last night because I think last night was as you said the first glimpse that we've got that this team can actually really tick over to, uh, offensively but then also Jansho Russell wasn't on the court and I know that some people will make that that pretty flimsy correlation but I think that you know, last season after the trade deadline, Minnesota was still a very good offense, and they mm-hmm. still play with a lot of pace as well. So, and I know that Russell can be a bit plodding and kind of meander around um, in the half court a little bit, but I think that he he can definitely play on a team with pace, especially when you have wings like Beasley and Edwards and you know Culver and Akodi who all like to get out on the break and, and put pressure on the rim. So, I think I agree. I think that last night kind of. Um, brought me a little bit more optimism than than maybe I had over the first two games. I know I didn't put a lot of stock into the first two games, but I did think like, man, you know, this might take a little while to to get going, and to and yeah. this team doesn't have a little while to get going offensively because if they're if they're bad offensively and bad defensively in the first ten games, like they're they're probably not going to win any of them, and, and that'll be you know the season done right there. So I do think that that it doesn't take much for this team to, to get on a bit of a roll offensively. And even if they're a little bit disjointed and still the chemistry isn't uh, where where they'd like it to be, it's it's still uh, a team that has a lot of firepower and just a lot of uh, natural scorers and guys who, who know how to get a bucket without kind of scheming for it. Like, obviously, defensively, you need to have a really, a really rigid scheme with this team because... Uh, there's so many holes in, in the personnel, but I think offensively you can kind of let them play a bit more free flowing. I do think that uh, Ryan Saunders doesn't run enough offense at times. I think he he really does let the guys just get out there and get a feel for each other naturally, which I think could help in the long run. But I do think that a little bit more structure and hierarchy is needed at times. I think they need to be running pretty much every play through. Towns or, or D'Lo in some capacity, especially if they want to hit the heights of that, you know, top ten, top five offense that we all think they can reach. Um, I think it's it's a tough spot for the coaching staff just because it seems counterproductive to to relegate Beasley or or Anthony Edwards to catch and shoot kind of you know third option guys who don't seem to shoot as much as maybe they should, especially considering how much they've invested in them over the off season. But but still, I think. Any great offense in this league has very capable players who have to sacrifice for the team and and play lesser roles. And I think that Edwards and Beasley are going to have to be those guys on this team. So I'm still not worried about the offense. I think it still might start kind of slow, but there's a lot of talent and and a lot of growth I think to come. So I expect them to be in the in the back half of that top ten, which probably should propel them to to a few wins that maybe they have no business grabbing out outside of that. Yep, you would think, yeah. Yeah. Um so moving on to more some more individual guys. Um I think I touched on it a little bit earlier, but obviously the the big talking point of the preseason has been Jarrett Culver. He was exceptional last night in Dallas. Um very solid on both ends during both the Memphis lo- losses and, and and just confident and composed last night. I don't think we've ever seen him play you know, the way he did last night, I think he's probably had some, some better stat lines, but like very few, but maybe, you know, a few. I know he's got, I think, a 25 or 26 point game 
last season, but I don't think I've seen him exude that kind of confidence ever mm-hmm. before um, on both ends. And on the other side with with, with Josh, I think he was, he was had a fairly quiet off season uh, preseason. He did look better shooting the ball on, on very limited attempts, but I think that's probably just a, a result of a guy who who knows he has a solidified spot in the rotation and, and he's just on cruise control a little bit um, because Culver, you know, his spot wasn't guaranteed. And a few weeks ago, you know, I'm happy to admit that me and Josh, uh, me and Jack were on here talking about, you know, potentially starting him in the G League or, or moving him at the first chance you can get just because he doesn't fit at all. And, you know, what a difference three preseason games can make because now... You know, if he started on opening night, I'd have no problems with that just because he looks like a, a new man, a new player, and someone who would definitely eat up a few of Akodi's minutes probably throughout the season. So do you think Akodi, you know, retains that starting spot and, and the Lions' share of minutes heading into game one, um, even if conti- even if Culver continues to play well? And, and how long do you think that lasts, if so? So I think, I mean, Culver has been these three preseason games, I think you said it so confident and he looked like, you know, Memphis was a, is a physical team and they, they play kind of a bruising style. Um, they don't, nothing comes easy with them. And Culver looked like one of the few guys that was, was, you know, metaphorically throwing punches back. I mean, he, he was one of the few guys that was up to the ta- the task uh, physically. And so that was, I mean, that's worlds different than what we saw from him last year, where he seemed very unconfident and, and kind of timid at, at times. And so we haven't seen a sign of that yet, which is which is fantastic. If it were up to me, I mean, I would I would love to see him in the starting lineup. I think he fits next to those starting guys who are a little less um, smash and dash, I guess. They're a little more skill, patience. I mean, they want to play fast, but Towns and Russell are skill guys. They're not, you know, charge towards the rim, play at 100 miles an hour type of type of guys. And I think Culver right. has a steady presence who knows where he's supposed to be. And um, obviously, I think we, we are starting to believe a little more in his, his you know, spot up shooting uh, after a few games and, and a lot of made free throws. He would seem to be that ideal you know, starter at the three spot with point of attack defense and solid help defense. I just don't think the I think the coaching staff is going to go with Okogi to start the season. I just think they're going to kind yeah. of hold the status quo there. And they, I mean, they love Josh, and everyone loves Josh. Yeah. So I see, I see Okogi starting, um, but I think I don't think that they will. I think they'll pretty much split the minutes at that kind of three. You know that that defensive wing spot. Over time, though, you know I think Jarrett can definitely overtake Josh as far as the starting starting lineup goes. And Okogi seems like the perfect bench energy guy. You know, you bring him in off the bench with four minutes left in the first quarter, and he just explodes and gets a steal and a dunk, and crowd goes wild. He seems like that perfect type of guy. Um, with Culver being that steadying presence in the starting lineup, so. I think Okogi will start, though, to start the season, but I think the minutes will be pretty split. Yeah, I think it's a tricky one as well with with which one fits better off the bench. Like, obviously, with the bench, you are given a little bit more responsibility. When you're with the starters, you're, you're pretty much immediately slotting into that 
fourth or fifth option kind of role with you know either Lehman or or Hernan Gomez at the four. And I, I think for that reason, I kind of like Colbo coming off the bench a little bit more, just because I think that he can obviously handle the ball a little bit better than Encoji. Probably more confident coming around ball screens rather than just being like a, a cutter and a, and a spot up shooter and, and a, a pure energy guy. Um, and then I think, and I think you know, in a lineup say with with Rubio, Edwards, Culver, and then you know Lehman or and Ed Davis or, or Nas Reed, um, I think that Culver. You, you kind of have three ball handlers out there then. You, you have Culver and Rubio, and then you have Edwards, who, who you don't have to lump a lot of responsibility onto. Um, you can still give him reps as a as a, a ball handler. I'd give him reps as a spot-up shooter. But then you've got Culver, I think, especially you know if we see this version of Culver, which is kind of like uh, a complete parallel to the to the version that we saw last season, um, it, it gives you another another option as a... As a secondary ball handler and a guy who can, you know, bring the ball up the floor or, and kind of give Rubio a break, give Edwards a break, and you can can really throw different looks at the at the opposition um, off the bench. And obviously, you know, the bench isn't always going to play together. It's not kind of hockey, so they're gonna you're gonna have times where Colbert, even coming off the bench, it will be mixed with the starters and or at least one starter. I think for most most of the time, I, I'd assume that they have one of Russell Beasley and Towns on the floor. So uh, I think that, that Culver kind of fits off the bench and, and I completely agree with what you said. I think they probably split minutes. I don't think that... I think Culver's earned it. I think that Ryan Saunders was singing his praises yesterday, not just for the for the Dallas game, but for the whole preseason and for the training camp as well. So um, I'm, I'm very, very interested to see what happens with Culver, like how how far he can extend this confident run and how far, you know, how many minutes he can grab and, and, and what kind of asset he can develop himself into. Because I think, and, and tell me if you disagree with me, but I think that they have more incentive to to develop uh, Culver. Obviously, they love Okoge and they, um, they've they shown the faith in him. But I think, you know, they drafted Culver sixth overall last year. They moved up to get him. They moved the power forward to get him, which is obviously um, a big hole and a big talking point on this team. So I think that you know if you start to see glimpses of of Culver developing and into the, a guy who who justifies his pick as a you know pretty high lottery pick, then uh, it seems like they're pretty incentivized, especially Gerson Rosas, to to develop that and to try and squeeze as much juice out of that as they can. Yeah, and, and actually, now that you laid that out really well, and now that now that you've kind of explained that, I, I've switched my thinking a little bit to, um, it, it depends on what they want Culver to be, and, and you're right that yeah. they have more invested in him being a being a, an all around player as opposed. But then to, on the but then on the other hand, that if they are so invested in him as becoming you know a star ish player, mm-hmm. a guy who can who can fill up a pretty decent usage role maybe they maybe then starting him is the option you know what i mean like yeah. it's like it's it's tough yeah it, it could really go either way and, and maybe it comes down to well he doesn't start but he closes um, yeah because he's he's the fit in the closing lineup as the more steady presence who can handle the ball who if he becomes you know what we think he may be becoming as a shooter he may be the the ideal closing lineup guy but uh, he, you may be right that yes, they want him uh, with the second unit as in a multiple ball handlers unit as that um, kind of second or third guy um, instead of the fifth 
guy on on the starting lineup. So yeah, I think it, there's no solid answer. It completely depends on how both of their jump shots develop. Yeah, um, yeah. But I don't. Yeah, maybe it doesn't matter who starts. It matters who plays more minutes, and I think they'll they'll split them pretty, like you said, pretty much split them down the middle. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point that you make about the shooting, um, because that's the that's the volatile kind of subject here. That's the the real unknown. I think we both know that they're gonna bring energy. Um, Culver's still pretty, you know, like it wouldn't be surprising at all if he kind of reverted back to to a guy who was struggling just because three preseason games against defenses who who aren't fully locked in. Uh, isn't a great, you know, way to make a sweeping declaration, but um, it's if one of them guys are hitting thirty five percent from three, I think that, that you can pencil them in to finish a game. Like, yep. if, if, especially if they're playing um, pretty solid defense. I think at, at coming into the season, we all um, rated Culver as a defender, but not kind of to the at the point of attack like we like we've seen in this in this preseason he was never bad there but yep. like you said earlier he was just not strong enough uh he got he got bumped off his spot a lot and and he always tried and he had quick hands and he had good instincts just like he did at Texas Tech but he he didn't he couldn't really handle the physicality of of the NBA and you know through I know it's three three preseason games but like he was taking it to Ja Moran, who still dominated, but like he he really held his own, and that's a you know a true NBA athlete, Moran. I know he's not overpoweringly strong, but like you're not going to get many quicker, you know, guys who can who can change directions and change speeds the way that Moran does. And then last night, like he he gave Dylan Brooks fits. Uh, sorry, he gave Dylan Brooks fits in that second game last night. He had times guarding Luca. He had guard, times guarding Tim Hardaway Jr. Like these are all guys who are undoubtedly NBA athletes, and yep. he he looked very comfortable. He looks noticeably bigger, and um, it's just maybe maybe it's a maybe it is I'm sure a situational kind of thing. Just because I think Josh is still better on the ball. I think last night there yep. was a five, five minute stretch where Josh just gave Luca fits. Like I oh, think he great. he, he might have stole the ball twice, two plays down, then he drew a charge. Um, a little flop, but you know, a, a, a good flop. Yeah. Um, but that's like I think when it comes to really just like getting in someone's jock and and, and you know slapping the floor and going at it, uh, I think I'd still prefer Josh. Mm-hmm. But I think from a more controlled, I think Culver's got that control. Like last night, I was, um, I was clipping videos. I was kind of just sitting around watching watching uh, all three games back and specifically for Culver point of attack, you know, defensive possessions. And I had twenty one clips clipped from the three games of, of plays wow. that I th- uh, that I thought were you know clip worthy um, for for good defensive possessions and like that's unreal like that's you know seven a game and that's for a guy who I wouldn't have thought had you know three a game last season so mm-hmm. um, I was very very impressed with Culver the shooting and the confidence and the uh, you know attacking the rim like that's that's all bonuses if you can get him yep. to be a really good defensive player and I know that. You need him to become the offensive player if he wants to hit his potential. But like this team needs defenders, and if he can knock down, you know, threes coming out of pick and roll like he did last night. That that three, I think it was in overtime or at the end of regulation where he just kind of confidently stepped into it. Like mm-hmm. that, um, that might have been the first thing that got me out of my chair for the, yep. the whole preseason. So definitely, um, um, yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about Culver. Same. 
Agreed. Uh, so moving on to, to another wing, and, and that's obviously Anthony Edwards. He, uh, he's obviously the first pick overall. Very hyped, very um, intrigued. Everyone to see to see what was what was going on, what what he looked like when he finally got some NBA action. I think, you know, just by looking at him, he's he's clearly an NBA ready body. Like we were just talking about, how Culver needed to get bigger and, and did. But uh, I don't think Anthony Edwards will be. Uh, I don't think the coaching staff will be stressing to get in the gym too much for Anthony Edwards to hit the weights. So he he was kind of what I expected, you know, for the first few games and, and what. I I saw at Georgia, and that's you know flashes of brilliance. Uh, clearly jacked, athletic as hell, um, very streaky shooter who can who can knock down any shot when that when that that shooting touch is going, and then also mm-hmm. can go through some pretty extended cold spells and and then hot and cold defensively, like I, like I touched on earlier. It has I guess the same questions I asked at the start of the show. Has, has your ant stock rose or, or fell throughout this? extremely small and ultimately pretty meaningless, you know, sample size. Yeah, so I would say my, first of all, my views of Ant before the preseason was probably far too unrealistic for a 19-year-old <laughs> who had been on I think the that's what we all do, month. though. That's what yeah. we all do, especially when we have a nine-month, you know, layoff, like yeah. Anthony Edwards becomes Michael Jordan in your head. Exactly. What else was I? Was I, I watched <laughs> the highlights over and over again on YouTube. That was my, my view of him, but... So obviously, again, the first preseason game was was tough to watch for those of us who thought Ant was going to be MJ coming into the league. But uh, <laughs> if you step back and take a realistic look at it, um, you mean, yeah, he obviously has everything working against him and all the rookies do right now. But if you just look at I mean, the, the box score shows that he has improved, but just the eye test of looking at his comfort and knowing where to be and his confidence um, is is night and day from game the beginning of game one to towards the end of, of game three of the preseason. I mean, he's truly just learning and developing right in front of our eyes. Obviously, the physical attributes are all are all you know we've talked about those a million times. But I mean, game one when he he didn't know where to be off the ball. He when he had the ball and drove into the lane, it was there was no plan. It was you know, not it didn't look good, and then game two was a little better, but he was kind of predetermining what he was going to do. I think as he was driving, he was either going to pull up or he was going to drive in, even though Valanciunas was in great position to stop him. He was just going to drive to the basket and hope something happened. Um, and he still ended up with twelve points, but not very efficiently in this last game. I mean, obviously he hit a few threes, but by the end, you could just tell when he drove in. And he had, I think, two, I don't know if they were back-to-back plays, but he had those two drives and assists to Culver. And both of those were clearly, you know, improvised plays. He read the defense. He read Culver's cut along the baseline. Easy bounce pass for a dunk. And then the second one drove in. Defense collapsed. Collapsed. Easy jump pass out to Culver uh, for the open three. And, and I mean, it's been just like, like we said, three games, and he went from not having any idea what he was doing to looking very comfortable with the ball in his hands, running the offense. Um, so I feel, I still feel very, very good about where he's going to end up. And the defense, honestly, I thought was going to be a disaster, both on and off ball. And I, I mean, I the one play right when he checked in on Luca, where he <laughs> stonewalled him, and Luca is strong. And I mean, Luca. 
he, I mean, watching him in the playoffs against Kawhi, I mean, he was shedding Kawhi and, and hitting jumpers and layups around him. And not saying Anthony Edwards is <laughs> the defender that Kawhi is, but just shows you his strength and NBA readiness. I mean, my stock is still, I still have all the Anthony Edwards stock that I had before. <laughs> I'm not selling any off. Price to me is going to only go up from here. <laughs> yeah, I think, and, and I, I saw a lot of people kind of, you know, comment on that on that Luca play, the, the defensive stop, and kind of say, well, well you know, Luca's not quick, and, and, and Luca's not the kind of guy who, who you know, beats guys with, with pace and with, and with skill, but he, like, there's a reason why Luca averaged, you know, near 30 points a game last year, and it's not because he's Jamarant fast, it's because he is might be the strongest unathletic-looking dude in the league already yes. at, like, 21. He's ridiculously crafty, um, and he knows all of the the tricks already to do with, you know, like, offensive fouls that, that don't get called and kind of, you know, using the little chicken wing arm and just moving people out of the way without... and doing it legally and, like, and, like, and you know, it's one play, so we're not... Yep. We're not... Um, yep. Putting putting Anthony Edwards in the Hall of Fame just yet, but he he like that's that's a flash that that really excited me, and that's something yep. that I'd tweeted before that I think that he had in his game at Georgia when he really locked in on the ball. Um, yep. like you know it's cliche, but like the tools really are there. Like his lateral quickness is unbelievable, and he he breezes through screens when when he really wants to, just because he's so fast, he can get skinny and kind of slide between the the. Uh, ball handler and the screener yep. in, in the same in the same way that kind of Josh Okogi does he, he can do that really well and then he's also faster he's bigger um, and, and he has really quick hands I think one of his problems at Georgia was that he he reached a lot um, yeah. and that kind of would set him one one step behind and I still have seen a bit of that and that does get him into trouble but, but when he times that reach like at the start of that play with Luda he kind of just just digs in with the hand for that one split second and just like allows him to get an extra extra second and extra step on Luca and to to kind of reposition himself, um, and that's that's what he once he gets that down pat and being able to to just use those quick hands to put himself in a better position rather than to to put himself behind the play. Um, I, I have a lot of confidence that he can be a really good on ball defender. Off ball, I'm still a bit more iffy. He he definitely yes. ball watches and he he's a very big victim of getting sucked into the defense and kind of, yep. you know, if someone drives into the middle, he will just, he, he wants to make the play, which, you know, ultimately is a good thing, but it's also the kind of thing that I think has got Carl Anthony Towns in trouble as well. With your yep. cat wants to make the play all the time. He wants to make the block. He wants to get there and guard that guy, but instead of just staying solid yep. and um, that'll come, it, it might not, but it's very early to be making any, um, you know, real decisions on Anthony Edwards' defense, but yep. I'm encouraged. I, I, honestly, I am encouraged because I agree with you. I think I, I expected it to be pretty much a disaster from from day one, and I think it's yes. been a few notches higher than a disaster. Yep, hundred percent agreed. Uh, all right, power forward spot. Let's get into that. It's it's the the big talking point. Um, it has been since. You know the free agency period, and, and even before that, obviously it's it's something we can't escape. Uh, Jake Lehman has been the starter throughout the three games, which has apparently had a little bit to do with with Wancho not being in full camp activities, and 
Um, you know, it didn't get there till a bit later. He he is a movie star now. We have to remember that. Of course, so, of course. Um, but I think maybe I'm wrong. I, I could easily be wrong in saying this, but I think it's almost a, a guarantee that Jake Lehman starts game one, isn't it? After after preseason. Yeah, yeah. I think the whatever you think about the power forward spot is kind of your litmus test of like what kind of Wolves fan you are. It seems like <laughs> everyone, everyone's in a certain camp. Although I think we're all kind of coming around to that that same conclusion. I I think Lehman started game one, it sounded like, because of, like you said, Wancho coming in late to camp and just wasn't quite ready. But um, I don't see how, after watching the preseason play, obviously we haven't seen practice, but after watching preseason, I don't see how you could move Wancho in over, over Lehman. I mean, Lehman has fit exactly what that, you know, that starting lineup needs, a smart, smart defender. Seems to be in the right place. Gets into passing lanes. He's, you know, he's tall, long, and athletic. Um, and then on offense, I mean, he's just such a smart cutter. And there's there's some good passers that uh, in that starting unit that can that can benefit from that. So I just don't know how he doesn't. I don't know how he doesn't start at least initially and get a chance to show that you know he can continue his league average three point shooting, even if he's a tad bit below average. You know, it's you know. If he, if he can be right around that 33, 34, 35 percent, um, I mean that's that's your starting power forward and, and against you know most all teams that will play this year. With and I don't I don't know that I don't know that this would be a hot take, but I don't know if Wancho's you know second unit or you know rotation minutes are really all that safe at the moment. If you yeah. depending on what you think of Rondé Hollis Jefferson's preseason so far. Yeah, well, well, that's what I was going to say. I, I mean, I think politics kind of dictate that that Wancho will at least yeah. get get minutes, which you know is definitely not the ideal way to look at it. I think, and I don't think it's the way that that they would look at it the entire season. But I think that you know, if you give a guy seven million dollars a year, you probably at least uh, have to give him a chance to a fair to, shot. Yeah, yeah, and he did earn and he did earn a chance by playing really mm-hmm. well um, last season and and. As I've, um, you know, pinned on it on every conversation we've had so far, it, it is preseason, and yep. I think that completely dropping him out of the rotation after uh, three preseason games is a little bit harsh. But then I also agree with you. I also think, like, if it was me and I was playing two K, um, I'd have Layman and, and Hollis Jefferson as my starter, uh, you know, yep. as my rotation because I love what both of those bring, especially defensively. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you start to factor in uh, Hollis Jefferson, he's he's I think now all but assured to keep his roster spot, especially yeah. with with McLaughlin signing the two way deal. Um, Saunders said before the Dallas game that he thinks that he'll play most of his minutes next to Towns, which kind of suggests there's a there's a role there for him and, and yep. potentially a pretty significant one. But that that didn't really you know uh, jive on on Thursday night because. Mm-hmm. He didn't check in at all in the first half, um, which kind of debunks that theory because that that seems to be that seemed to be when they were playing a, a, a pretty normal rotation for all three yeah. games. So for the first half seemed to be normal rotation, and then uh, in the second half things got a bit funky. But but again, like when he did check in, he was literally like going from point of attack defense to to acting as the big in pick and roll in you know back to back plays, um, which is you know an asset clearly and a testament to his versatility and his tenacity and and this team needs that they need defenders 
but he, he can't and won't shoot, which is um, obviously the big bugaboo, and he's pretty uh, limited offensively in general. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a really weird fit, I think, and it, and it kind of works and it kind of doesn't, and um, it, it's weird, but, like, what... What's your take on Hollis Jefferson? Like, do you have, like I think he's been good in the preseason, but do you see him being someone who who gets minutes throughout the year? Do you see him being as a breaking case of emergency kind of guy? Like, yeah, I think that's that's a good a good way to put it, and and I totally agree. I think you know you you have to give Wancho a fair a fair shot at the at the backup just the backup power forward, or even you know a fair shot at at starting if he if he really. Um, impresses because I mean he shot 40 percent, forty two percent, or something like that on really high volume in the games before the end of last season, um, which is uh, from three point land. And that's really really good. I mean that's yeah, that opens really up the offense like crazy. And so if he's doing and that's that, what they want, right? Like they want. Yeah. If it was up to them, they would sacrifice some defense for an offense that is just yeah. you know like weapons everywhere and yep. and shooters everywhere because that maximizes cat and delo the most so if, you, if you're gonna shoot that i mean that well from three on that high of volume there's you're gonna <clears throat> play rotation minutes at least on, on every team in the nba because that's um, that's an elite an elite skill so he'll be given every shot i think to to do that but but on to ronda Hellish jefferson I think it's a a matchup based or emergency based type of guy. First of all, it's going to be a weird season. There's going to be absences, absences <laughs> yeah, yeah. injuries are going to happen. Um, so he may just get plenty of games where he is that you know backup power forward or backup center. Um, but I think if you run into maybe you run into the Lakers, and I think we play them the third game of the season, and um, Anthony Davis is doing what he did to us last year, and he's putting up you know, 40 points on layup, just layup after layup at the, <laughs> at the rim, you probably, yeah, you say, Rondé, get in there because we can't seem to stop Davis and you stick to him and you run with him. And so it's that type of matchup-based play. And he seems, you know, we've only known him for a couple weeks here, but he seems like that kind of guy that will relish that role where if you yeah, say, yeah. hey, go put out this fire because you're the only one that can do it. Um, I think that that's a really valuable guy to have uh, on your on your roster at the at the even if it is towards the end of the bench. I don't think they'll have a regular rotation of eleven players. I don't think they'll just run. No, through. no, no. They'll just they won't. He won't be in the regular big rotation to start the season. And um, yeah, like you said, break in case of emergency or hey, go put out this fire type of guy. Yeah, and I think a point that you brought up there, which is maybe, <clears throat> sorry, um, my uh, more poignant is that maybe he's a backup five, and maybe that's how they see him. I know he said he'll play most of his minutes next to town, so maybe I'm just kind of reaching here, but like maybe the battle is more between him and Nas and Ed Davis more than yeah. it is between him and Wancho and Lehman, because he he played five backup five last season at times for Toronto. Um, I've said this multiple times, but you know, if you're a rotation player on a team that comes second in the East and wins 54 games or whatever, I, I just don't. And I know the fit is different, obviously, but yeah. I just don't see how you can't grind, you know, carve out some sort of role for him, even if it is that yeah. end of bench guy who comes exactly. in, you know, situationally. I just yeah. feel like he, you have to find some minutes for him or a role that that keeps him happy and that that um, 
kind of lets him loose when, when need be because, um, yeah, I really like Hollis Jefferson and at centre, I think that maybe those limitations are a little bit more yep. uh, minimised. Like if you're going to play Ed Davis anyway, who can't, you know, yeah. shoot either. Um, exactly, yeah. that, then maybe it's Hollis Jefferson. Maybe on the nights where Towns gets two early fouls, you might then maybe that's when they extend the rotation to eleven. You give Nas a few minutes, give Ronde Hollis Jefferson a few minutes, give um, a couple of guys, you know, just kind of play around with it. And I think there will be nights we'll get into some over and unders later, but I think there will be nights where Towns picks up early fouls or gets fouled yep. out, and um, you know you have to run the offense through Russell and. I think that, that straight away you saw Russell and Hollis Jefferson do have that connection offensively. They clearly have played with each other before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noted it in my piece, you know, during the week that that the whole team, as we discussed, looked looked very disjointed offensively. And then Hollis Jefferson checks in for the first time and and gets a backdoor cut and a perfect pass and a layup. Yep. You know, thirty seconds after being on the floor, and um, that matters. I think, especially you know, for a team that doesn't know each other from a bar of soap, really. <laughs> and and you know it's it's been um i think it's been refreshing to see him like just on the court he's just like a he's a character uh, yep. Hollis jefferson like he's always he's demonstrative and he's he's you know chatting the ear off the ref and i was gonna he's, say he's always talking to the refs but not yeah. like complaining he's just talking nah, like, yeah and he's you know wearing a mask and he's like flying at three-point shooters. I do think that's one thing that, that I think he needs to get under, under control. I think at Toronto, they, in Toronto, they, um, like they chase people off the line. Like they, yeah. you know, some teams will, will corral in closeouts where you kind of, you know, like you want to get to the front of them and um, stop them from driving past you and get a hand in the face. And then other teams, mainly teams that are really good and really confident in themselves defensively, um, we'll we'll go hard and fly by and yep. and run a run a guy off the line and try and get him to go into the teeth of the defense where you know if you if you have Marcus Ole and Serge Barker and Carl Lowry and OG and Anobi, yep. like you know you trust you trust them guys if you get beaten on a flyby so um, maybe that's something he needs to reel back because yep. there isn't those kind of defenders on, on the Timberwolves but uh, it's not uh, currently no <laughs> but it's yeah it's um. He's a breath of fresh air for me, yeah. and I don't I don't know what his role will be, but I will be rooting for him for for the whole season. I know that absolutely. Um, all right, so so last thing before we get into these over and unders, um, another positional battle, and that's that's one that I kind of thought had been solved until I don't know ten minutes before the game last night, and and that's the third point guard spot, and um. Obviously, Jordan McLaughlin only signed that two-way deal just prior to the game. He so he didn't feature at all in the preseason. We we know what he's about from last season. He's a tiny, ferocious kind of true point guard dude who who makes up for that that size with like aggressiveness and and basketball nous and 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 mm-hmm. some hop, some hops that make me smile way more than, than Timberwolves basketball usually does. Um, uh, side note is that the two-way is an awesome deal for the Wolves. It's yep. not it's not an awesome deal for J-Mac, who I think deserved a guaranteed deal somewhere in this yep. league. Like, I think there's a lot. he's a lot better than some of the players who are probably going to get minutes next season as a backup point guard. But yep. um, hopefully he has a good season and can kind of uh, hit restricted free agency next year and... and um, you know, earn a, earn a deal and and yep. earn what I think he should have earned. But you know, 
getting back to the to the topic of conversation, which is what the Wolves care about, is is that third point guard spot. And then like you have Jalen Noel on the other hand, who's obviously more of a combo guard, I think, than a than a true one, but like he showed genuine signs of life in this preseason um, on multiple games. Obviously, the first game he, you know, scored twenty two points in fifteen eight eight minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then again last night, like it's got to the point where like like when he was coming around those picks and getting his feet set, like I was yelling at the TV like that's cash. Like yep. when they when they weren't you know getting they were kind of cruising under those screens because they're probably thinking you know Jalen Noel hit three out of 27 threes or something last year like and he his confidence looks way back to where it was in the G League and to where you know we kind of expected it to be so um I'm torn on this one I think I think Noel is the guy as we said before with with Culver I think Noel's the guy you want to develop right like he's younger he's on a team-friendly deal you drafted him yourself um you know J-Max heading back into restricted free agency next year but McLaughlin was very good last season on the NBA court, and and you know the exactly the type of mentality and the type of guy that a third string point guard kind of you know should be, and and a guy who can come in and and not miss a beat when when one or both of the rotation guards are injured or out, and obviously with COVID and, and injuries and Russell and Rubio are pretty much you know you can almost pencil them in to miss five to ten games every season just through yep. through niggles, through niggles, so. Please, Jerry, give give me a reason to lean towards one of these guys. <laughs> so I think, I mean, and first of all, like you said, I I really hope for J Mac. I think he is an NBA point guard at you know what if it's not with the Timberwolves next season, you know after this season, um, you know somewhere I think he will get a guaranteed deal because he showed clearly last year. I think he showed he can run an NBA offense. He can make up for his size. And he can get up. He can dunk. He threw some down, <laughs> and and like you said, that makes you smile when you see. A uh, guy, a normal-sized guy, get up and, and do that. <laughs> yeah, um, make me feel hopeful about myself one day. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But like you said, I think they have a lot more incentive to play and develop Jalen Noel, and and I kind of in my head I equate it to, and and you kind of you wrote this. I th- I think that was you who wrote kind of Denver as the the template as far as you know a Ross from a roster building standpoint and they had this guy this Malik Beasley this flamethrower who they couldn't really get minutes for but when he got the opportunity uh, he got his shots up and he um, they developed him to the point where they ended up getting a first round pick to get rid of Beasley and Hernan Gomez um, and I think it was more the giving up the first round pick for Beasley um, and so I'm not saying that they're going to plan is to say hey let's develop Jalen Noel so we can trade him for a mid mid to late first round pick down the road but it's but that's how this front office works like yes. they like they tell you themselves probably that like they'll always look at trades and especially yep. you know for the 13th guy on the roster yep and and, and I again we love J-Mac he's not I mean he's not that type of guy he's much older than Jalen he's not getting any bigger obviously um, Jalen is an NBA good size for an NBA guard he can clearly be a flamethrower scorer um, and the areas of his game that he's maybe lacking are de- developable areas. You know, maybe his distributing, his defense, you, you can develop those types of things. Whereas J-Mac, again, just has a pretty clear ceiling on what he can be. I mean, 
again, great for the Timberwolves as a, you know, maybe Rubio or Russell or, you know, don't knock on wood, but maybe one of them misses extended time. And you do, instead of Noel, you do need a solid point guard who can run, you know, 15 to 18 minutes of game, a game of solid offense. But I think in, if we're just talking some spot starts here and there, or Russell's going to miss a couple games because of COVID exposure, whatever. Um, I think they're going to give Noel every chance to prove that he's that third point guard, um, that he's that kind of a, a guard that needs rotation minutes. And maybe this summer, maybe next summer, he's a valuable trade chip for a star, for trading up in the draft, for an extra draft pick, more flexibility. Um, that's like you said, that's how this front office thinks. And if they have a chance to develop Noel over J-Mac, that's just what's going to happen. Yeah, uh, that, that's a really good point and something I guess I'd kind of bypassed in my thinking, just kind of focusing too much on the on the small picture, which was just, you know, minutes this season was, was the trade aspect and the developing into a guy who, who you can move. And that's that's very true. Like, this, that's what this front office does. They're not going to sit on their hands. Then the, 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 the Denver comparison was really good. Like, you know, you don't, you don't need to... Like if you have players who can be good basketball players, you just develop them even if they, you can't fit them into your rotation mm-hmm. and even if they only play, you know, 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there. And then, you know, if they show enough, you know, other teams see this. Like, yep. it's not just... If we can see it sitting at home on the couch, then... I'm sure 29 other GMs can see it as well. And yep. if that means that it's the piece that, you know, gets piqued someone's interest when you're adding in Beasley and you're adding in, you know, Culver and a first rounder, like maybe, you know, if, if Noel can get to that point where he's viewed as an actual young asset, like, you know, yep. that's a guy you can throw in there. He's only making, I think, under $2 million a year for the next yep. three seasons and all team options. So it's, it's the same deal with Nas Reed. If, if they're rotation players, they are awesome, awesome deals, team-friendly deals. Um, and yeah, it's it seems it seems like Noel is the option, especially long term. Yep. And that's what makes it, you know. And also, like talking from a value standpoint, like John McLaughlin just signed a two-way deal, so like there can't be like you know, like you said, you're not going to have teams clamoring to to include him in a trade package, you know, or to, to get him as an extra asset. Like, he, any team in the league could have signed him for, you know, probably a two-year vet, vet minimum this season. And clearly, they didn't. I think that, uh, from what I've read, Minnesota w- would have given him the vet minimum as well for one year. So, obviously, J-Mac thinks he's an NBA player. As, as we've said, we agree that he's an NBA player. But um, it just seems like, like Noel on a team-friendly deal... With, with loads of potential. He was Pac-12 player of the year at Washington, so it's not like he um, hasn't probably been on anyone's radar before. He was he was really good at Washington, and now he's starting to prove that, that he has that confidence to do it against NBA competition, and I'd love to see him get some minutes this year. I don't think he's a, you know, a guy who's going to be in the rotation on night one, but but as we said, I think that, that Russell will miss games, Rubio will miss games. Yep. Um, you know, COVID's going to be around. It, you know, Beasley might miss games. A Cody, yep. a Cody like he's a he can play the two guard as well. So that's that just more versatility. So, yeah, I think I think you have kind of convinced me there that that maybe Noel is the third string point guard and J Max more of a a guy that's playing in Iowa. I don't know if they're doing the the G League bubble or not, but yeah. 
ready and waiting he, if if needed. Yeah, but but I will feel sad if you know J mm-hmm. Max doesn't play an NBA game this season or only plays a game or two because like he's a baller man and and yeah. he's doing it for all the five ten dudes out there. Yep. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Um. All right. So now that we've had, now that we've talked some serious stuff, let's let's get into some fun. Um. Yeah. Regular se- regular season over and unders. Um, I'm not doing the the half, you know, the the decimal point numbers because I just find that stupid. I'm just going to yep. give you a solid number. I'm um going to do points and then just some mis- like you know points per game for players and then just some miscellaneous you know strange funky ones. Um, sure. But we'll start with wins. Um, so this is the Vegas number. Vegas have the Wolves at 29.5. So I'm just going to give you 29. Uh, will the Wolves win more or less games than than twenty nine? I've I've got the over, and I I'm as people who have if you've read me, you probably know I'm an optimistic thing. <laughs> I, I truly like to think that they'll always be better than probably the national consensus, and and definitely better than Vegas thinks. I've got them at thirty four <laughs> wins, just under five hundred. Um, and I don't think that that means that the everything has broken right for them, but I think that means that the things that we are hoping are going to be good have panned out well. And the things that we think might not be as good have improved. So I think that's a, it's an optimistic look 34 and 38 in the 72 game season. Um, but um, I don't yeah. think that's over the top optimism. Yeah. Like, I think that if they I personally, I think that if they're under 30, I'll be pretty um, disappointed. I think yeah. that would be a fairly bad season for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Like I don't expect them I have them at around 32, 33, you know, like I could see them being 500. Um, but I think under 30 might be a little bit harsh from Vegas, which is just like, it's what Vegas does. Like Minnesota are never going to like track record and history plays yep. a part here. And, and Minnesota constantly are underachievers. So yeah, they've been um, right, you know, they've been yeah, right. Yeah. The time. If you, if you bet on the, on the under on, um, Vegas on the Wolves every year, you, you'd probably you'd probably have a nice little you know Percy there. Have so, a lot of money, I bet. <laughs> so, but yeah, we're we're both going to go the the over. I think the over is pretty not a safe bet, but I don't think that's um too much of a hot take or too much of a yeah a, a leap of faith. Um, anyway, moving on, I think we'll get into some points. So these mm-hmm. ones I found hard to to do it myself. I think I've just set these lines myself. I, I couldn't be bothered researching you know vegas odds so i just kind of set these myself so sure. um Anthony towns points per game over under 25 i've got him over or right at 25 25 yeah, that's, well that's why I, I tried to go like what do i think he'll average and then just set it at that and then kind just of set to it, me, set yeah it. he was, um, he was 26 and a half last year and um you know, for this offense to be good, he probably has to get near that. Um, yeah. And, and with all a lot more mouths to feed than there were when he played a lot of his games last year, I think he maybe drops a tad bit. But I don't. I mean, I don't think his efficiency will drop. Obviously, 
I think 25 is is hard to say over or under 25. I think that's that's right about what we expect. Yeah. Um, again, I'm in agreement. I think that over, slightly over, um, just because even with Russell there, I think that that still towns his team offensively. And, and yep. I think during the preseason that um, outside of maybe a few, you know, heat check stretches from, from Russell, I think that he showed pretty clear inclination to get towns the ball. Yep. Um, and even if it was a bit disjointed and, and wacky at times. but then I, And then I think that, um, like, Ricky Rubio is just a guy who makes big guys better. Yep. And I think we I think we saw it especially in that um in that last preseason game like he had a few really nice pick and roll feeds where he kind of you know got around the defense and wrapped it back to town standing underneath the ring and that's just looks that uh you know other players on the on the roster won't get outside of you know the other big maybe Nasri but like obviously Towns is going to play a lot of minutes with Rubio yep. and I think that if we're talking um I know the the uh consensus has kind of been what Rubio can do for, for Edwards and what he can do for Russell, but I think what he can do for Towns in terms of just getting him easy buckets is just as important. Um, and you saw him with Aiton last season. You see him with Towns previously and Rudy Gobert. Like, like that's what he does. Like, he's a pick-and-roll maestro. So that is what pushed me just above the over. I think with, with more mouths to feed, as, as you put it, it's... It's not a guarantee like it maybe was last season or or in previous years, but yeah, I'm gonna go just slightly over the over the twenty five or, or yeah, right on it. Let's take a moment to appreciate Towns being that efficient, putting up twenty six and a half points per game last <laughs> year without a guy like Rubio or Russell to get him the ball. I mean he had Teague and, and with Wiggins, a guy, yeah. With a Teague, guy with, like Jeff Teague. With a Jeff Teague getting him the ball. Towns <laughs> is yeah. Taking a step back to really appreciate that. That's uh, yeah. That's quite the feat. I think with his defensive deficiencies, we as a basketball community in general tend to uh, overlook that like he might be the most ridiculous offensive big man that's ever played. Like yeah. you know, he's he's not the all round player like some you know like like the great big men the, the the big men that are, who are clearly better than him. But um, he's like he's nuts, man. And sometimes like. Like during the season, during the lockdown, I was watching um, just some old games, and obviously I watched like the fourteen games after the trade deadline, and then I went back and just watched some of Towns' best games, just because like obviously he wasn't there for for the post deadline games. Um, I'm like, man, he's so fucking good. Like, yep. like he just does. There's just some like just the the trailing three pointer where he kind of is a little bit slow up the court. And then he just like walks into a, you know, 27 footer with a big guy standing right there knowing he's going to do it. Like that's, that's truly, truly unique. It's just like, the easiest type of offense. I mean, nobody yeah. has to do a thing and yeah. three points on the, on the board. I, I can't, I always think back to that game against, I think the first time we played Utah last year and he yeah, just and gave, he just gave cooked, Gobert yeah. business the entire yeah. game from three and taking him off and the he, dribble. It was amazing. Um, that was the one that they won as well, wasn't it? Yep. The game that they yep. won, and he he hit that um like that three kind of coming off a screen like to to seal the game, and it was about it was legitimately like a thirty one thirty two footer, like yeah. he caught it off the ta- like off a handoff of Teague, and he just like pulled up in Gobert's face, like that's bizarre. Can't, 
can't well, stop that. Human, if Gobert humans, can't stop it, no one can. Yeah, seven foot humans shouldn't be able to do that. No. Um, all right, so back to the, back to these over and unders. I was doing a little, you know, like I'll, I'll eulogize about Anthony Towns we, as much as you want. We, we love we love Towns, if that's not clear. <laughs> um, so D'Angelo Russell, twenty two points over or under? Uh, I'm going under. This may be a little yep. bit against the the status quo. Nah, yeah, no, nah, we're on the same page so far. I've got him at under as well. Twenty three last year, but I mean, he was the the. the you know, A to Z of the offense and pretty much both both the teams he played on. So right. um, I see under because I think I think I can see him taking on um, much more of a distributive role, and and I think that would be that would be really good for the team if he can up his efficiency a little bit, even if his points per game come down. I think under twenty two, you know, not uh, not significantly, but under twenty two, maybe closer to twenty is probably um, probably right where we want him. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that being you know betting on the under here is not an indictment of Russell or you know saying that he's going to have a bad season. I think for the Timberwolves to be good, I probably want him shooting a little less, and I want less you know isolation threes and fifteen second kind of you know through the legs James Harden type offense movements, especially when you have so many weapons around him. Yep. Um. So yeah, I think that that under twenty. Under 20 on better efficiency um, would be the perfect outcome here. Yep. Uh, okay, so so moving on, um, Malik Beasley, 17 points over under. Yeah, so he, here's this is my real hot take. I'm I'm going comfortably over 17 for Beasley. Oh. I, I think I think he'll have more points per game than Russell, and I'm oh. basing that solely off. I mean, he's gonna get his shots up. Yeah, as we've we've seen in the preseason, he is active on offense and he is looking for his shot uh, on ball and off ball. And I don't I mean, some some games that will be not a great thing, but some games I think that will be a fantastic you know way to open up the offense if he hits a couple early. Um, If you get Beasley going, I think then obviously if you've got Russell and Towns on the court with him, that's an elite offensive trio. So I, I see Beasley getting his shots up. I mean, I hope he's as efficient as he was last year. Um, but even if not, he'll I think he'll still get over that 20 per game. Yeah, so so here's how we differ. I went under on, okay. on the 17. Um, I think that you do make a good point, especially, you know, that, that he'll get his shots up. And we saw mm-hmm. that in the preseason. His confidence never seems to waver. Like in that, in that last game against Dallas, I think he started out like he had for the for most of the preseason and then all of a sudden like he just you know turned it on for five minutes i think he ended up with with 18 um and i don't feel like he played well or you know really shot the lights out like i think he hit two threes and that kind of sparked the comeback as well i think he got subbed out straight after those obviously just to save his legs but um that kind of cut the deficit from you know 16 down to 10 in in 20 seconds and um you know maybe thinking about that that he had 18 without looking good really at all um, makes me change my mind a little bit. But I just think that uh, I'm factoring in, I guess, the improvement of Culver, um, like we like we spoke about, and, and Edwards and Cody. Like, I don't know if he plays 35 minutes a night. Like, maybe he plays 30 instead of 35, and yep. 20 of those are with Towns and Russell on the court. Um, and then I, I think that he'll regress a little bit as a shooter. I think he'll still be a good shooter, but... 
I don't know, 17, is, uh, like I said earlier, 17 is about where I pegged him. That's where I kind of tried to set set these lines. But um, I'm going to go slightly under, like 16.8 on, on pretty good efficiency. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on what you think, like you said, of, of Culver and Edwards. You know, if you think they're kind of going to hit their overs, then you're probably right that Beasley will, yeah. will be under. Yeah, well, we'll have to revisit that one um, mm-hmm. and see who's right. I think we'll, we'll probably see. know after a few, you know, if, if Malik Beasley drops 35 on, on, on night one, then I, I might be looking a bit bit under yeah. the weather on that one. Um, <laughs> so last one for the points, uh, Anthony Edwards, 13 over under. This this one is the hardest by far because you just yeah just like what's his role gonna be? I mean, how many minutes is he gonna get? Um, yeah, you know, it, it will all depend on you know what he his, his confidence and what he looks like out there. Um, Thirteen, I've got over, but just barely. Again, I think you're you're pretty close, and I I think that he's um, it, it may not be like a super efficient thirteen or fourteen points a game, but that doesn't kill you. I mean an inefficient 22 points that hurts your team. But, yeah, you know, yeah. Inefficient 13 or 14 shouldn't be too, too painful. Um, and he'll have some games where he'll, he'll break out and he'll, he'll have 25, I think, because he's, I think he can just, he just has that kind of potential offensive force. So yeah, I, I'm just barely over. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going under again on this, but just barely as well. I just think that it's the minutes thing. Like you said at the yeah. start, I think that, the role and the minutes, and I think in the first few games we saw that he kind of looked a little bit lost when he didn't have the ball in his hands, and I think just naturally he's not going to have the ball in his hands all the time just because mm-hmm. there's obviously, um, no matter what unit and what guards he plays with, he's um he's going to have guys who can handle the ball as well and who, who want to get their own shots. Even Rubio, who's obviously the passing savant, is... um. Still a guy who's averaged up over ten points a game every every season of his career, so um, he's still going to get his when he's on the floor. Like I think that Edwards, he's not shy. I think he's he's built from the same um, the same play as as Beasley, where yep. when he ha- when he has the ball, like he's he doesn't feel bad if if you're if he's half open and you're fully open, he doesn't feel bad about shooting himself. Yep. And I, I think that's a good thing at times. I think like Beasley, sometimes it'll be good, sometimes it'll be bad. Um, I think nights like like last night with the 17 points, I think he scored 17, and it was 5 of 15 shooting, but but we all felt like he played really well. Yep. Um, that's the nights you're looking for. I think the, I, I expect the field goal change to be pretty rough in general yep. over the whole season. I wouldn't be surprised if he shoots you know, under 40% from the field for like, you know, 38, 39%, but... If you if you see those flashes where he uh, does you know like comes off to pick and roll and he's passing to cutters he's he's showing flashes defensively um, I think he straight away has proved that he's actually quite a good rebounder um, yep seems, he seems to really get in there and fly for rebounds which is another you know hammer swing at the Andrew Wiggins comparison <laughs> um, but but yeah I just think role wise I think he averages under thirteen. Um, and especially if he's pretty inefficient and he's only taking, you know, ten shots a night, um, it's it might be on on aggregate more likely that he, that he scores less than thirteen most yeah. games. And and I agree. I think he'll have games where he scores twenty five. Like yeah, and, we saw yeah. last night in five you know five minute stretch. It was like shit. Anthony Edwards is going to score thirty here. Like yep. he just started you know banging threes left and right, and he's um, going to get get hot some nights i think yeah. what you said about his field goal percentage is really that's a 
good thing to point out for everyone is that yeah he if you at the end of the year you may look at his field goal percentage and and his three point percentage and you may think well is, that's just like you know Culver last season or the in in his rookie year um, but it'll be a lot different in that it's not going to be because he's missing easy shots. I mean, we saw... Or because he's not confident. Like Colbert, or because he's not confident, Colbert, exactly. it was because he didn't really know what... I, I think there'll be times where Edwards doesn't look like he knows what he's doing, but like Colbert didn't know whether he could make a shot. Yep. Whereas I think Edwards will always know he can make a shot. He, he just might he try can, something. Yeah. He thinks he can make it. He tried to step back from the corner last night. I thought that was <laughs> yeah. incredibly brazen, and it was just... I mean, it's preseason, so whatever... Um, but yeah, like you said, he will be confidently taking those shots. And I think we, you know, even if it's a poor percentage, I think we can all be confident that that will get better with age. Yeah. All right. So these are the, 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 the weird ones. These are the ones that I just created myself. Things yep. that I think are interesting kind of, you know, subplots for the season. So, so we'll start with counting towns and over under seven times that counting towns fouls out of a game. This so these were by the way these were really fun to look up. I did some basketball reference researching just for a few of these to see to give myself a reference. Yeah. Um, and first of all, did you know Towns that those nicknames they give on Basketball Reference? Did you know <laughs> Special K is one of his nicknames? Special K. I mean, I've no. watched most every game of his career. Never <laughs> once heard him that. So anyway, if someone on Twitter wants to explain that to me, that's, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Um, but. I'm ta- I'm taking the under. <laughs> I hope he doesn't foul yeah. out seven times. That would be uh, that would be tough. He actually did not, according to Basketball Reference, did not foul out last year. Um, yeah, that that surprises me. Which surprises. And I know me. he was better last year. I think mm-hmm. he was worse defensively. I think that when he foul gets fouls, he plays better defensively generally because yep. that means he's aggressive defensively. And then I think when he gets in foul trouble, he gets worse. And, defensively because he's trying to stay out of the foul trouble. And he only played 35 games, so, you know, it's yeah. relatively small sample size. But what you just said, I think, is exactly right because I just did, I just looked at the seven games he had five fouls, that seven games he ended with five fouls. The Wolves actually went four and three in those games. Yeah, uh, they did. As, and so I think you might actually be right on he, it makes him maybe lock in a little more because, I mean, he knows if he fouls out, he can't done yeah he wants to continue playing offense well he better focus on playing solid defense so there may be something to that but i'd prefer him not get near seven times fouled out so so, think, so what was he what was he the season before do you have that in front of you like how many I, times you know i don't out? have that i don't have that in front of me um all right well i'll so while you look at that i'll say that my i i went under as well i think i think just like i think he probably fouls out like four or five times and um, with Russell, I'm less concerned about it. Like, obviously, you want Carlton Towns on the floor, but I think compared to like last season, I think there's definitely at least options offensively and maybe a guy like Hollis Jefferson or Ed Davis that can um, come in and just be like a defensive kind of center when Towns is out and you just, I guess, hand the reins to Russell and, and Beasley and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, I think they're going to ask him to be aggressive defensively. I think they did in the preseason... And it did result in fouls, and ideally, you know, he wouldn't get fouls. But I, but like you said, uh, uh, maybe there's a correlation in the wins. But I like when Towns is aggressively is aggressive defensively. I don't like when he's stupid defensively, and I think that he uh, 
he has a tendency to get offensive fouls as well, which kind of hurts, um, you know, hurts his aggressive his aggressiveness defensively because he does get a lot of charging calls and he gets a little bit uh, over eager offensively with like a few hooks and uh, you know post moves where he goes a little bit too hard. But um, yeah, I'm going just the under on that. He had nine games where he fouled out nine two, two years ago that see that's surprise i thought it would have been lower once you said zero last year i thought maybe i've just um you know over exaggerated that in my head no nope. seven was it nine and a he played i think every game or close to every game of, of that season so yeah seven is is might be right on the money and i i hope it's under yeah um well you know at least it means he'll be healthy for 70 plus games so yep. Yep. um all right so moving on D'Angelo Russell, 40-point games, over under two. Uh, I've got over, uh, and I think maybe three or four. I think that would be, he just seems like one of those guys that in a good offense, when he gets into a good rhythm, he you just keep feeding him and he can go. I mean, we saw him against us. He had 52. Uh, and with a team like ours that I think is just going to play with an incredible, incredible amount of pace, and also giving up maybe a lot of points on the other end. I think that there will be plenty of shots available in some of those shootout type games. So I see over maybe three or four 40 point games. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I think that um, I was going to say over as well for, for kind of the exact reasons. I think that he's definitely a, a heat check kind of dude. Like when he gets going, he can get going for three straight quarters. Like, um, and there'll be plenty of points available in these fast-paced games. And mm-hmm. I think with the ball being in his hands more often than not, it's more likely that he scores 40 than, than Towns or Beasley. or You know what I mean? Like, they don't, he don't, doesn't need someone to get him the ball or to yep. get him a shot. Like, he can just create his own shot whenever. Um, so, yeah, I'm going just over three or four as well. Um, yep. Moving on. Uh, games where the Timberwolves give up 140 points, uh, not including overtime, uh, over under five. Um, I'm going under. They only did it once last year in a non-OT game, uh, and that was against the Lakers when Anthony Davis just destroyed us. Um, and and so I think I think I'll go under five. It may be closer to five, but um, hopefully in non-OT games they don't they don't let it get to five that five times during the season. Yeah, I, I'm going under. Just I think there will definitely be be games, and like we just discussed with Minnesota, more. With more firepower on their team, I think that there's more likely to be higher scoring games against. Like teams aren't going to take the foot off the gas in the fourth quarter, you know, when they're up by 20 and they're on 125. Like they're just going to keep piling on the points because most likely Timberwolves will keep piling on the points along alongside them. So mm-hmm. um, I think I think just under wouldn't surprise me if it's over. I think if it's over, it's probably not not a great sign for not our a great sign, for, no. for our win total projections. But uh, yeah, three or four probably, and hopefully, hopefully a few like one forty five, one fifty wins because yeah, you know, let's, if you let's win, go. I don't care about the defense if they win, and that, that's right. a fun game. If a team, that would if be it's, crazily exciting. So I, I kind of like that happens. Two, over two hundred and eighty points scored in a game. I think that, that everyone wins. Yep, agreed. Um. All right, so Jarrett Culver, 20-point games, over, under, three. I'm going over. I'm buying all the Jarrett Culver stock that we've all sold over the last nine months or so. Um, I th- and I think, honestly, a big part of that is uh, is free throws. 
I mean, yeah. how many points did he leave at the free throw line last year? And he, and just not even having the desire to get there. Uh, if his free throw shooting is truly improved, he'll probably attack the rim more and he'll obviously score more points at the free throw line. So 20 point games, I don't think will be too difficult to come by. Um, so I think he can maybe do that closer to eight, nine, ten times as opposed to the, I think, four times last year. Yeah, well, yeah, I am I set this without looking and then I looked after it and maybe three was a little low on the line. <laughs> I think that if he scored 20 points, you know, four times last year, um, you can probably expect it to be at least that this year. Then yep. again... I think that this year, if that those confidence issues and just shooting issues in general uh, rear their ugly head, then he'll struggle to find minutes, you know, more because there's just more options around him. Like they don't need to play him 25 minutes a game now, even when he can't buy a bucket. Like, yep. If he if he does revert back to to last season as Jared Culver, which I still think there's a, there's a good chance that it will happen. Like I'm buying yep. the stock. I'm buying the stock of Culver, but um, I'm not. You know, writing off a relapse or, yep. um, at all, but uh, yeah. So I'm, I went the over, but not as confident on the over as you. Uh, sure. I, I'm maybe five, maybe five twenty point games, and, and then I think if it's over five, like he's definitely a good player. That's, like, that's you know a very I mean? good he, sign. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So so we'll, we'll fire off a, a few more here. Uh, this one I struggled with a little bit on the line. Uh, Ricky Rubio double doubles over or under ten. Yeah, I didn't do any research to see exactly how many he's had over the last, you know, per season over the last couple of years. I just, just on, just overall feel, I see under, and and the reason for that, I, you know, I think he'll have some ten assist games. I really don't see that many games where he's getting ten points. Um, I just, I just struggle to see where that offensive opportunity is. If let's assuming, you know, health for everybody. Uh, throughout the season you know if you lose Beasley or Russell for extended time then this changes obviously but I'm going under the 10 um, just because I think it's just not quite going to be as much scoring opportunity yeah yeah I'm going under the 10 as well and, and not only with a scoring but I just think with an extra ball handler on the court with with less you know responsibility and less minutes in general I think that uh, he probably doesn't get as many. Um, I'm just kind of looking through it now. He had well over 10 last season. Like, I can't find the exact number, but I'm just looking through his game log. Like mm-hmm. He would have had at least 15 last season, okay. I think, uh, and probably a few more that are rebounds, points, double-doubles, because he does get boards. Um, but, yeah, I, I still think that I, I'm still pretty confident on the under. Um, yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I just don't think that he's going to average that many assists really like yep. I think he'll average assists it's Ricky Rubio and like he's one of the greatest passers of, of this generation yep um but I think he might average like six assists a game five six assists you know Russell will get five six as well uh Towns is still going to get you know assists I know we had an assist here one when I when I sent you the outline but I yeah we, we might go for three hours if we <laughs> keep talking keep yep. talking but um I've already taken up too much of your time so oh, no. but yeah I think that um I think that Rubio Around six assists means I don't think he gets more than ten double doubles, especially as you said with the scoring. You know, it's not not going to be there every night. So, and, and it depends. You know, they they've said they want to use Rubio next to Edwards, or at least that's what we all assume. 
it depends how they use Edwards. If if they do use Edwards more as the on-ball guy that we've seen in the preseason, then obviously that eliminates assist opportunities for, for Rubio. Yeah. But if they and, Col- and Culver as well, like and they're Culver, running that yep. that lineup we talked about earlier. Like, is Rubio going to handle the ball? You know, two out of every five possessions, like yep. because if so, again that cuts down his output in assists. It probably cuts down his output in in scoring. Like it's, yep. I don't see Ricky Rubio having a very big statistical season. I right. do see him having a big impact, but not someone who. He's definitely. I don't think he's going to get any career highs, you know, in any in any numbers this season. Hundred percent agreed. Yep. Um. All right. So so two last two. Josh Atogi three uh three three point made games. So so games of making three threes or more. Um. Four or four over under. Uh, I, I'm saying over, and it's it's pure optimism and desire for him to be a, a better three-point shooter. Um, he only did it two times last year, uh, which I think and he didn't go over three three-pointers. He just had three three-pointers in those games. Yeah. Um, so, you know, doesn't give you a whole lot of whole lot of hope, but I think with the with the increased spacing on this team and, I mean, just, just he is going to be left alone, I think, at the three-point line a lot. And uh, he's going to get, I think, opportunities to shoot wide open corner threes. So hopefully, you know, those games where he has three or three or more, if you can get that many threes out of Josh Okoge, you're you're doing something right. So uh, hopefully we see it be more than four times this season. Yeah. Um, and I, I am down to go cautiously over as well. Uh, I think a, a strange kind of footnote on that is that those two games that he hit three, Last season were actually back to back games. Um, really? Yeah. So so Lakers and then Utah they were three days apart, but like they were you know the games one after one and after another. So we we must have been very you know thinking very highly, thinking oh he's turned a corner. <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I would have been to- posting some ridiculous shit on Twitter about yep. Josh and Cody turning yep. a corner and becoming Steph Curry. Yep. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go, yeah, I think cautiously over. I actually have, like, you know, the, he, I know he worked really hard on his shooting over the over the offseason with, with Lethal Shooter, um, the, the trainer, and I actually think it looks a lot smoother yeah. in these first few games. I don't know, don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'd say he's only missed, you know, I think he might be like two of three, like, so very low volume, but... Yeah, he, I think he was two know, for two in the game yesterday, and, and he looked he looked good doing it. I mean, it looks smooth and doesn't look forced by any means. Yeah, so hopefully, like you said, with, with the more spacing, that that lends itself to a few games where you can hit three threes, which which isn't anything crazy. It's, no. you know, if he gets five open looks for a game and hits three, one of them, you know, a couple of times, so uh, I think that's definitely possible. Um, and final one, final uh, topic for the day. Juancho Hernan Gomez, games started, assuming he's healthy for the season, um, 50 over or under? Uh, I've got I've got far under that. And, and I know we talked about him earlier as far as getting a fair shot to start. Uh, and I'm, I'm basing this off, again, everyone won't be healthy, I'm sure, throughout the whole season. Um, but if everyone is healthy throughout the year, I just don't quite see them getting him into the starting lineup uh, with the things that, like we talked about earlier, that Lehman brings uh, at the starting power forward. So I see pretty far under 50 games started 
because I think, you know, like we said earlier, unless he's hitting over 40% of his, of his threes, uh, he's, he's probably better served for kind of a backup forward, backup big man role. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I went under. I think, I think just under. I think that he will get. I think that he will not. Not that I think he's a better player than like a Trevi and Graham, but I think he will get the same sort of treatment from Saunders if he is playing pretty badly. I think they'll persist with him because they know what he can do. Yeah, but I think if he plays twenty games and he's shooting thirty-two percent from three, um. It starts to get pretty untenable to yeah. to have him in. Like you know, I mean, if he's not shooting well, he doesn't really do anything very well. He's a good cutter, but he's a bad finisher. Um, he got hooked. Last, I know it's preseason, but he got hooked last night after I don't know who scored, but he switched a meaningless switch that yep. someone that someone already had covered. Like he switched onto a guy who was already covered, and his guy um, got an easy layup at the rim, and he got hooked and didn't come back into the and, game. Yep, he never played again. Yep. Yeah, which, which it was kind of in out. the sweet. Yeah, it was in the sweet spot where the starters were starting to trickle out into the onto the bench. But um, I did find that interesting because yep. they could have they could have you know let him have one more defensive possession you know and try and uh, regain some confidence. But like Saunders hooked him fairly quickly, and I think that's been a weakness of Saunders, which is you know trying to appease everyone yep. a little bit he, too much at times. Like he, he lets guys play through mistakes. Um, but yeah. yeah, he did not there. And maybe that'll change this season. Maybe, you know, playing through mistakes is kind of a uh, euphemism for, for tanking. So, yeah. you, know, <laughs> really, like... you know what? Really good, good point. And, and I think I think if, if Wancho's starting more than 50 games, obviously that could mean that there was a lot of injuries. But if he started more than 50 games, I think that's probably a really good thing because that means he's shooting like he did last year. And, and you right. have to start him if, if he's yeah. shooting that that much so i think you know it's a net positive for the team if he is if he earns 50 starts or more throughout this season uh, i just i don't know that i that i quite see it so i'm i'm, I'm yeah. safely under yeah well I, I, yeah i'm i'm just I, i'm just under i think that like you said it all depends on how he starts i don't think he'll i think he'll start as the starting four um even though i think layman has has got to kind of you know but i, I do think they're going to revert back to one show and then mm-hmm. I think you know if he leaves the starting lineup he won't get back into it so so can he start 50 straight games like that's I guess that's the question is if he is he going to be the good enough to start for 50 games because if he is then he's probably good enough to start for 72 yep like if you get to game 55 and then he starts playing bad you probably just ride him out for the last yep. 17 games or whatever and I'm sure he'll miss time too like I'm I'm very um down on on the COVID situation, you know what I mean. Like I think that yes. there will be times where this really gets out of control within the league. Like, yep. um, especially just you know you see guys Instagrams and stuff like going home and and you know they're you know people there that aren't immediate family and you know friends yep. over or whatever. Like this from someone who's from Australia, obviously Melbourne. We haven't had a case in Melbourne. You know, a, a non international traveler. You know, case for fifty days now. I think. Oh, um, how nice. And New South Wales, which is just a state next to us, they've just had a breakout again, okay. and that's—I think they were at you know zero for over a month as well. And then within the last six hours, they've just had thirty, forty people test positive. So uh, that's how uh, that, uh, we all know how quick that you know it, it can move and it can how come bad out of it is nowhere. In this, and at least yeah. what we've seen, if we've seen anything over the last three games with these spurts at the end, by kind of the end of the the Wolves bench, is that 
Um, you know, again, it's preseason. Take it with a grain of salt. The end of, of the Timberwolves bench seems to be uh, more capable than the end of, of <laughs> the Grizzlies and the Mavericks yeah. benches, especially last night. I mean, it was pretty, you know, pretty dominant at, at the end in that fourth quarter and overtime. So, um, I mean, if COVID ravages, you know, ravages the Timberwolves at any time, uh, or at least COVID exposure, um, I, I do feel relatively good about the, the you know, NBA caliber play at the end of the bench. You know, I wouldn't hate a Jared Vanderbilt sighting for a couple games uh, as a backup big man, or a, I mean, or Nas Reed has to start every once in a while. You know, whatever. I, those guys yeah. I think are good enough to handle those spot minutes. So I feel better about yeah. that than I think a lot of other teams might. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we won't get too far into the, yeah, the COVID discussion. That that's a whole another podcast. But yep. um. Thank you so much, um, Jerry, for joining me. It's I've had a lot of fun today. I think that has um, kind of put put the preseason a nice little bow on the preseason, mm-hmm. um, and and now you know getting ready for for the regular season. So yeah, thanks again, man. Yeah, thanks a ton for having me on. Um, yeah, and everyone, go follow at Ballwise North on Twitter. Um, go read their work. It's really good. It's and I'm not just saying that because my work is also on there, but the originals on there are really good, and, and I, I don't say that lightly. So, um, yeah, thanks, Jerry. I'm, I'll definitely have you back on. I think I'm, I'm going to just add you into the, the rotation of, of Wolves guys that, that I love to talk to. So, yeah, thanks again, and um, we'll, we'll speak soon, man. That's great. Thank you.